Hey, this morning, uh, my name is Blake. Welcome. If you're new with us this morning, uh, and if you're not, uh, you may know that uh, last week uh, I was uh, gone, and I am so grateful uh, to Dave and to others who um, were here and leading and filling in. Uh, Dave did a great job, and while I was gone, uh, we were celebrating my grandmother, who uh, at her church in little old Washington, Indiana, has been the piano or organ player for over 70 years. And um, what an honor it was to be able to be there with her and celebrate her. She is, uh, without a doubt, one of my heroes in the faith. And this morning, we're going to open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to talk about uh, some heroes of the faith. And we're hopefully going to be inspired by them, uh, and most importantly, inspired by Jesus. So, uh, as you find Hebrews 11, if you've got a Bible, I hope you do, you can flip in there. If not, uh, you can use the Bible app, and our digital bulletin is in there. So not only does it have notes for today's sermon, but all kinds of announcements and links and things to get connected to. Uh, I've got my Edge Student Ministry shirt on, and they are back tonight at 5. We're excited for that. We've got a Covenant Members meeting you'll hear more about at 4. All kinds of stuff going on in the life of the church. So uh, please make sure you get in there and do that. One thing that's not in there that I want to ask uh, you all to do, if this is your first time back, or maybe it's your first time, um, each Sunday we're trying to, we, like, this is a dynamic situation, it's a very fluid situation with COVID, right? Uh, moment by moment, day by day, week by week, we are learning and adjusting and growing. And so uh, at loveshelbyville.com slash I'm back, got that I'm back, no apostrophe, just I'm back, you will find there two different surveys. One of those is if you're a first-time uh, returner or a first-time guest with us, there's a short survey that we want you to take because we want to make sure that we're doing things well, and we want to make sure that you feel comfortable as you return, and we want to make sure for all of you that are watching online that we're continuing to do those things well. Uh, and then the other one that's on there, we've identified two ways that we need to rebuild our volunteer team serving first, and there's a, a one-question survey on there at loveshovel.com slash I'm back. So uh, check that out if you get a chance. Let me, um, let me now, I was going to pray first, but let's read the passage. I love this passage. Let's read Hebrews 11 together, and then let's pray. I'm going to ask you to do something a little strange. Um, Hebrews 11 talks about all these heroes of the faith, right? And it, it gives us these little micro pictures into their lives, into these moments of faith. So uh, I'm a little bit of a visual person at times, and so I'm going to ask you, if you would today, to go on a little journey with me. I want to ask you to close your eyes and listen to the word being read this morning, and just begin to envision some of the lives of these heroes in our faith, all right? Hebrews chapter 11. He is Lord. Family gathering, got to love it. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by it our ancestors won God's approval. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts, and even though he's dead, he still speaks through his faith. By faith, Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. 
For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. And now without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. And by faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised." But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. And therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son, to the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be called through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead, and therefore he received him back, figuratively speaking. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. And by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the sons of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for Moses pers persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. By faith, he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. When the, Egyptian, when the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being marched around by the Israelites for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. What more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourging as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. 
They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. And therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, may our eyes be on you this morning. And may you keep our eyes there as we open your word and as you teach us. Change us through your word and through your presence today, we pray in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks for... Uh, doing that with me, not just reading the Word of God, but really pressing into the stories of these people. You know, as I read this chapter this week and began to prepare, uh, there was something about this passage that began to strike me. Uh, It was this idea that these people had all waited on the promises of God and, and not necessarily received them. And it got me thinking about things that I get tired of waiting on. I get tired of waiting on lines at the oil change place. Can I get an amen? I get tired of waiting on internet connections. Can I get an amen? I get tired of waiting to be let into Zoom rooms. I love you teachers, but I'm sorry. I'm just tired of waiting to be let into Zoom rooms at this point. But I've learned, I've had this experience recently that tops the cake on things I get tired of waiting on. I get tired of waiting on food. There was an establishment that will go unnamed for the purpose of this illustration. Uh, My brother and I, we had been working one Saturday. It was about 2.30 in the afternoon on a Saturday, and we were hungry, so we thought, let's go get some food. We went to a sit-down restaurant thinking, how busy could this place be at Saturday, 2.30 in the afternoon? We sit down, and we wait. We wait for someone to come and ask us the first question. And then we get our menus, and then we wait again. And we wait some more. And then we make our order, and we wait some more. 90 minutes for two people to eat in a sit-down restaurant on Saturday at 2.30 in the afternoon. Now, folks, I'm a gracious person, but that is entirely too long. Amen. And I'd like to say that I left there thinking positively, but I left there fuming with negative emotions, wondering if I would ever return to that restaurant. And, you know, probably bound to tell a few people about how awful my service was at this place. And as I thought about all these things that I'm tired of waiting on, as I thought about that experience, as I thought about Hebrews 11, I began to wonder how many of us How many of us say we trust God? Maybe Corona even has us in a moment where we're willing to give God a try. But at the end of the day, we really just think his service is too slow. God, your service is just too slow. You're asking me to have faith in you, but I'm sitting at the table and I haven't got my menu yet. You haven't told me what it is you want to to, to give me. And even if I've told you and we kind of figured out what's on the menu, it doesn't seem like you're delivering the food quite quick enough. 
We just get really tired of waiting on God sometimes, don't we? So we have to ask ourselves, is, is that something that's from God or is that part of my sinful and fallen nature? What are those things that we're tired of waiting on God for? I would say if we're honest, some of us are tired of waiting on God to take care of this pandemic. Now, the, uh, the huge irony in all of that is that depending on your opinions, man, God's got lots of ways that he could take care of this pandemic. There's a huge range of opinions on that, and he just needs to hurry up and pick one. Take care of this, God. We know you can do it. We get tired of waiting on God, some of us, for Mr. or Mrs. Wright to come along. God, I've, I've, I thought I've been faithful. I thought I'd done all the things. I've been praying for Mr. or Mrs. Wright to come along for a really long time, and I don't know what you're doing up there, but you certainly ain't ta- you're not paying attention to that. Maybe some of us have found Mr. or Mrs. Wright, and now we're tired of waiting on God for a child. And that hurts. We don't understand it. We get tired of waiting on God maybe to go back to school if we're a student. We're like, God, why couldn't you fix these things so we can just get back? Maybe you're tired of waiting on God for that new job opportunity that's going to make you financially comfortable. God, I've worked hard. I've been faithful. I've been praying about a job that makes things a little easier, and you just don't seem to be opening any doors. We get tired of waiting on God to... to, Help us get past that one thing that we just can't seem to let go of in life, that, that one traumatic experience that we've had or, or that one issue that we've got with that person. We just can't seem to let it go. Maybe some of us have stepped out on faith. We've trusted in a vision that we felt like was from God. He, he asked us maybe to, to start a ministry or plan a church or be a community group leader. or Maybe we just came to church asking him to change our life and, and to get rid of all those old sinful habits and and we're just sitting in this moment. We're like, God, your service is slow. I'm tired of waiting on you. I've been sitting here at the table waiting on you to bring the appetizer, refill my drink, grab the special sauce that I've been waiting for that so, so that things would be just right. And I'm, I'm just, I'm still here. I'm waiting. I'm even willing to sacrifice, God, but, but you can't even bring me the bill. Like, what, what's going on? We get tired of waiting on God. Or at least I do. And I would guess that many of us do. And so we read about these faith heroes in chapter 11, and we're inspired by all of their courageous stories. And we're tempted to think, God, why can't you just treat me like you treated them? I want to be a part of something bigger. I want to do something meaningful. I don't want to waste my life. I have faith. Why can't I do what they are doing? And I want us to catch something in the chapter that gets repeated a couple of times. We see it first in verse 13. Midway through the list, it stops and it says, These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. These people waited on some of the things that God promised them for an entire lifetime and never fully experienced them. They never quite got all the way there. It says that they saw them from a distance, they greeted them, and then they confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents of the earth. And I'm like, huh? I was with you until that last part. Like, I, I, I can see them, I can greet them, but then I'm, I'm confessing that I'm a foreigner and I'm not supposed to be here. Let me maybe bring this into some modern terms, an illustration. Let's imagine that we're going to take a family trip to Disney, the happiest place on earth. Some of you all just got really excited, some of you don't care. But we're going to Disney. 
You change the oil in the car, you pack the bags, you load the kids up in the car, you drive double-digit hours with kids in the car. That was a little moment there. You pull up to the park. The castle comes into view. And you say to the kids, Okay, kids, give it a wave. We're not really supposed to be here. This stuff's all just temporary. Pandemonium, right? Or, or disbelief, or probably both. I don't know. But what would ever inspire you to do such a thing? What would inspire you to take all those steps and trying to get to Disney, and then when you get to Disney, not actually going in the park? Look at verses 39 and 40. It says, All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. In that moment of pandemonium in the Disney parking lot, Imagine telling your kids to look up. And as a family, you see the presence of Jesus. You catch a glimpse of the heavenly city behind him. You begin to notice that, that there's people around you, people from your faith journey, people you've only heard stories about, and they begin to join you as you seek this city with Jesus. And in that moment, nobody wants to go to Disney anymore. You realize you're a foreigner, you're a sojourner, you're a stranger. Disney can wait. And so can we. So can we. Except for this one little thing. Our flesh doesn't like to wait. We get tired of waiting on God, remember? What happens when we get tired of waiting on the promises of God? Sometimes we quit listening to Him. And when we quit listening, it leads to, to self-justification and anger. God, I'm just, I'm just mad at you. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I know that I'm right in this. Sometimes we become a complaining victim. God just doesn't love me. Woe is me. Self-centeredness and depression begin to set in. And for some of us, we just take matters into our own hands. We are the doers and the drivers. If God's not going to do it, I will. And when things don't work, the excuses come. Well, it would have worked if God would have done his part. I did mine. What happens when you get tired of waiting on God? See, church, the trick is it's not about learning to be a more patient person. It's not about figuring out how to wait on the Lord. Look back at verse 40. It says, since God had provided something better for us. You see, the author changes his pronoun. He's no longer just talking about these heroes of the faith. He now recognizes that, that we share this faith with them because both of us, have faith in Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one. And then he says, so that they would not be made perfect without us. We're not waiting because God can't do it. We're waiting because God's plan involves all those who will come to faith in him. Waiting is hard no matter what. I, I believe that. I, I know that to be true in my life, but I believe that that's also why scripture repeats again and again and again the command to wait. The Lord knows it's hard. And he knows that we are going to need reminders. Psalm 37, 7 says, Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. And then this little tagline. Don't be agitated by one who prospers in his way, by the person who carries out evil plans. How many of us have been in that place? Lamentations 3, 25 and 26 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good to wait for salvation from the Lord. And then so practically in the book of James, chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. 
See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient until it receives the, er, the, uh, the early and the late rains? You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. So scripture tells us to wait, and waiting is hard. And just like with everything that the Lord commands, it doesn't mean that we can easily do it. In fact, we learn day after day that we are sinners, and we really struggle to do what's right, including waiting. So I could do this today. I could look you in the eye and I could say, quit complaining, start waiting, and have a good week. But that's not good news. That's not the gospel. The good news is that by faith in Jesus, what's in front of you will always get you through what you want to put behind you. Hebrews 12.2 shows us this good news. The second part of the verse says, For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what this verse tells us? It tells us that Jesus didn't like it. The very thing that we are most grateful for, the forgiveness of sins that comes from Christ's death on the cross, was a grueling yes for Jesus. He endured it. In fact, it says he despised the shame that came along with his mockery and cruel and wrongful death. He was ready in that moment for God to relieve him at any point in time. But it says for the joy, the joy that was laying before him, not the joy of the cross, not even the joy of the resurrection, but the joy of knowing that people who place their faith in him would be together with him for eternity in a perfect city, knowing that that was ahead of him, gave him joy, and because of that, he endured. You see, the good news for you today is that by faith in that man who was also God, by faith in Jesus, what's in front of you will always get you through what you want to put behind you. This truth of the gospel was true, not only for us, but also for these faith heroes as well. Uh, that's what I want us to see in all these stories. Look back at verse 10. It's talking about Abraham, and it says, For Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is, is God. Faith caused him to look forward. Verses 14 through 16 says, Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. And therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them, always looking forward. In verse 26 it says, For Moses considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith in Jesus, what's in front of you will always get you through what you want to put behind you. What is that thing for you today? Jesus' prayer for himself in John 17, hours before he would endure the cross, further shows this truth of the gospel and how it works. Listen in to Jesus' prayer. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you since you gave him authority over all flesh, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I've glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world existed. Jesus, looking forward to the glory he would share with God in heaven and with faith in his Father, Jesus went to the cross. 
What does it look like for a man, instead of a God-man, what does it look like for a man to have that kind of faith in God? There's many examples, and we've read many of them here, but one that I want to share with you is a story of a man named William Carey. William Carey lived in the late 1700s. He was a poor shoemaker. He was so poor, in fact, that he lost a two-year-old daughter just due to health issues. And yet, he was a man who had faith in Jesus. He was burdened by the missionary call of Scripture to, to live by faith, to go outside, to, to share Jesus with others. And he was burdened because he saw no one in his his church family taking on that call. In fact, he said this, multitudes sit at ease and give themselves no concern about the far greater part of their fellow sinners who to this day are lost in ignorance and idolatry. And as he shared that burden with his church family, his church wanted little to do with his missionary desires. So he, he was unwilling to sit still. He was unwilling to not step out in faith. And he started a missions organization. And he preached a sermon about missions. And within a year of preaching that sermon, he was off to India with his family and another missionary partner. In his mind, it was going to be easy. He was following God's call in his life. Things would just fall into place. But in fact, it was very, very hard. It cost more in India to live than he expected. And he soon found himself with no money. Very, very poor. As that came true, his partner that had went with him left, and he found himself moving his family again and again and again uh, to, to find ways to pay the bills. He contracted malaria. His son died at the age of five from dysentery. And at that point, he says it spun his wife into emotional distress that eventually resulted in her being restrained in a room. Now, times have advanced, right? Let, let, hear me say that. But in his journal at this, this point in his life, he wrote these words. This is indeed the valley of the shadow of death to me, but I rejoice that I am here, notwithstanding, and God is here. And God is here. God with us. It was in those moments that the tides began to turn. When he had faith in the darkest hour, the tides began to turn. Seven years into his work in India, he baptized his first convert. Imagine working to, to plant a church, to start new work, and not seeing anyone come to Christ for seven years. Shortly after that, he produced a New Testament translated into the native language of Bengali. And over the next 41 years, William Carey never left India. His mission could, could only count some 700 converts in a nation of millions, but he had laid an impressive foundation of Bible translations, education, and social reform. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I can't imagine doing what William Carey did. I can't imagine doing that. But what he went through to be a missionary to India and to inspire generations of others to do the same and to follow in his footsteps, man, by faith in Jesus, what was in front of William Carey, the vision the Lord had given him, certainly got him through the things that he wanted to put behind him. His first sermon to that missionary society was built on a passage from Isaiah 54 and it gave us this great line that I hope is the application to our sermon today. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Let's talk about those two quickly before we finish. Expect great things from God. 
Hebrews 11.1, 1, we've probably heard it before. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is seen. This verse has been widely accepted as a definition for faith, but we sometimes forget that it is attached to all these stories of people living faithfully. It was because they expected great things from God that they did what they did. It was their evident faith that expressed the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is seen. So let me ask you a very frank question. How would someone know in your life that you expect great things from God? How would they know that? Does the way that you talk to others let them know that you expect God to do great things in your life and in theirs? Do your posts on social media communicate that you expect God to do great things? Does the way that you invest your time or your talent or your treasure communicate to others that you expect God to do great things? Do the actions that you take and the things that you invest your life in communicate that you expect God to do great things? I know of nothing more winsome, nothing more evangelistic, nothing that would make other people want to place their faith in Jesus more than a Christian who genuinely, at the bottom of their soul, expects God to do great things. Let me say it another way. If what you are doing in your life doesn't require faith, it won't inspire faith. If what you're doing in your life doesn't require faith, it certainly won't inspire faith. And so I ask, as you look at your week, what you're doing with your life, does it require faith? Or is it simply built upon your hard work? Is it simply built upon what's predictable, upon what you can figure out? Or does it require faith? There are too many things we do that require little to no faith. We don't attempt many great things for God, likely because we need to first expect great things from God. But let's talk about attempting great things for God. We go back to that passage that William Carey first preached from, Isaiah 54 verse 2 and following. It says, Enlarge the side of your side, sight of your tent and let your tent curtains be stretched out. Don't hold back. Lengthen your ropes and drive your pegs deep for you will spread out to the right and to the left and your descendants will dispossess nations and inhabit the desolate cities. Do not be afraid for you will not be put to shame. Don't be humiliated for you will not be disgraced. I love that in this passage, the Lord is promising to expand their tent. Enlarge it, he says, and then he gets really practical. Stretch it out, lengthen your ropes, drive your pegs deep. You know, so often we want to attempt something great for God, but we just don't know what to do. How do I do it? What do we do? Often our next step is so simple and practical. It just takes faith to do it. I received an email, along with hundreds and maybe millions of other people this week, from a guy named Ronnie Floyd. Ronnie Floyd is the executive director of the Southern Baptist Convention. And he wrote this, and I thought it was um, so apt. He says, As this evil is being unleashed violently in our nation in every way imaginable, it is undeniable that God's people must take notice now as never before. That is why I believe God pressed within me a deep conviction that I must do something in this great hour of desperation. And doesn't that express, I hope that expresses something deep in you. We see the hurt, we see the need, we want to do something. He says, therefore, I did only what I knew I could do. I entered 40 days of prayer and fasting for these matters that were such a heavy burden upon me. It reminds me of a quote from Augustine. Augustine says, do you wish to rise? 
begin by descending. You plant a tower that will pierce the clouds, lay first the foundation of humility. To attempt great things for God is often to start with the smallest of things, the smallest of obedience in response to the greatest of needs. Here at Christ Community Church, we remind you often of this number that reminds us of the the darkness that exists in our community. 11.7% of our population in Shelby County is connected to a local church. 11. 11. Now today, I want to expand on that a little bit because we've got our brothers and sisters from Henry County here. In Henry County, it's 10.6%. We've got some new brothers and sisters that we're going to meet from Oldham County. In Oldham County, it's 9.6. We're now under 10. 10% of people that are connected to a local body of believers that, that remind them of the hope that they have in Jesus, that remind them that Jesus, for the joy set before him, because he wanted to be with you, endured the cross. And I'll go one more. Some of us live in Spencer County. We've prayed and we've, we've wondered about what that... In Spencer County, it's 7.2. 7.2. Folks, the needs are everywhere. People are hungry. Not for food that we can get at the food pantry. Not for a better house or a better job. They may think they want those things. They are hungry for the good news of Jesus Christ. So what can I do? And this is a question you have to ask yourself. What can I do to take a step towards advancing God's kingdom? How will my faith become more than a formality? How will my faith make a difference? Maybe it's that you pray somebody all the way into God's kingdom. From the moment you realize they're lost to the moment that you see them begin to walk in newness of life, you show them how to reach someone else so that more of us can join in the work. Don't get tired of waiting on God to change someone's life. Pray faithfully for them. Maybe you can start a ministry that reaches a segment of our population that you are passionate about. Maybe you can start something that bridges a gap between people of different ethnicities or different income levels here in Shelby County. For some of us, it's a really simple step. We're new to this faith family. It's like, what do I do first? How do I get connected? How do I get engaged? I want to encourage you, maybe all of you, to, to think about retaking or taking our new Digital 101 class that reminds us of what we believe and what we're committed to as a body. You can do that at loveshelvyville.com slash 101. Maybe some of you know that the Lord has a calling on your life to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to nations far from here. We've got a next step very specific to you for that. This coming Saturday, September 19th, uh, our church has been invited to be a part of a virtual mission trip to Central Asia. From 10 to 2, we will spend four hours live with missionaries on the ground there that we are partnered with. If you'd like to be a part of that, I need to know, and you can send me an email at blake at loveshellyville.com, and we'll get you connected in. All right, church, I need to confess something to you. I read all these faith heroes' stories. I considered the good news of Jesus that for the joy of being with me, Christ endured the cross. And then I thought, man, how can we live by faith? And I came up with this really great list of things that we can all do and next steps we can take. And then I realized there's a better list right here in Hebrews 11. I realized that their stories could be mine. They could be yours. 
And I simply applied what they did to, to what you might do. I looked at something like Abel offering a better sacrifice. And the list began. How can you attempt something great for God? Maybe you make a better sacrifice. Maybe you condemn sin by living righteously. Maybe you become radically obedient to God's word. Maybe you build a place of refuge for those who need it. Maybe you go to a place you've never been and give things up to stay there because that's where God has called you to be. Maybe you reproduce yourself in others. Maybe you give up the very things that you'd long hoped for. Maybe you raise up the next church planner or foreign missionary in your very home. Maybe you give up influence to make an impact. Maybe you just do the right thing today. Maybe you can change the world one person at a time by faith in Jesus Christ. How will your faith become more than a formality? That's a question only you can answer. But at its core, you can do that by attempting great things for God because you expect great things from God. Close with this. Football is back. Now we're in. Now, Ryan Gratton is he's glad that football is back. I think that was Ryan. I know his voice, right? But it is very different. If you're a football fan and you watched or tuned in yesterday, uh, we, we, we won't have any of those huge crowd moments. It was kind of cool, though. They got the cheerleaders stand up, socially distanced in the, in the bleachers and the band. Like, there's, I mean, they, they did some cool things, but it's just not the same. It's just not the same. I think it's safe to say that we won't have any Rudy moments this season. And if you're a football fan, or even if you're not, and you've seen the movie Rudy, you know what I'm talking about, right? Rudy is this ordinary guy who sets out to make the Notre Dame football team. He puts in countless hours of thankless work. He gets beat on by bigger and stronger players, and yet he never gets to dress out and be on the sidelines, right? You, you got, some of you got the story coming back. If you really like this movie, you, like, you got goosebumps already. You feel it coming. Rudy Rudiger, the practice player. And he goes to quit, right? He goes to quit until he learns that he's getting the opportunity to dress out at the last game possible for him. Now, at that game, all of his teammates wanted to get in the game. The coach seems to be holding back, at least in the movie. And then one of the star players, I mean, you can see it, right? If you see, oh, you can see it if you've seen the movie. Rudy. Rudy. And it spreads. The people on the sidelines join in. Rudy. Rudy. And then the stadium, it spreads from one section to the next to the next. Rudy, Rudy. And before long, the entire stadium is chanting for Rudy. Rudy is put into the game. He makes a big play. The crowd goes wild, and they carry him off the field on their shoulders. Now, those crowds, they won't sit at football games this year. But there is a packed stadium of people chanting for you to get in the game. Ryan, Ryan. He makes you feel good, right? You're like, I, I got to do something. I got to get in the game. I got to be ready. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we also have such a huge cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance, the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lie before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. And as your pastor, I'm starting to chant for each one of you to get in the game. 
For some of you that have one-syllable names, it's tougher. Josh, Josh, Josh. I mean, you know, it's just not as inspiring as Rudy. But I still want you to get in the game, man. Come on. You know, winning in our journey with Christ, it's not always about being the star. It's not about having all the answers. It's not about getting it right every time. Winning is just getting in the game. It's getting in the action. It's running the race. And in the midst of all these uncertainties that we're facing right now, this is not a time to stop making plans or to turn back to something more comfortable as the the receivers of this letter were considering doing. This is the time to start. These are the moments throughout history when God shines the brightest, when his people, by faith in Jesus, allow what's ahead of them to get them through what they want to put behind them. It's when God's people expect great things from him and attempt great things for him. How will your faith become more than a formality? This morning as the band comes back up and we respond to the gospel message, some of y'all think I'm a little crazy. Why would I give any of these things up? Why would I give up the life that I know and the life that I've built for this guy named Jesus? I invite you to do those very things because for the joy that was set before him, of just simply being with you, he endured death on a cross. He despised it. The shame that came with being stripped naked, beaten, bloodied, nailed in front of all these people that he loved. The shame of that was, oh, unimaginable. But he did it so that he could be with you and with all the saints in glory. Now, if you want to be with someone that wants to be with you like that, that I invite you to come, to give your life to Jesus, to expect him to do something great in your life. If that's you this morning, and Christ is inviting you to lay your life down and to pick his up, I'll be down front and I would love to, to share more with you. I'd love to, to have a conversation, to pray with you, to help you figure out where you are and where you need to go. But for those of us that are in faith, Expect God to do something great this week. And let's go attempt great things for him. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for enduring the cross. It's so easy for us to get in the rut of living life, especially in the middle of a pandemic, and lose sight of what you endured for us to be with us. And so, Lord, I pray that as you have called that back to our, our hearts and our minds through your word this morning, I pray, God, that we would, we would find inspiration, energy, motivation to go and to be the church, to live by faith, to not just say that we have faith, but to live by it. We're so grateful and thankful that Jesus did just that. Spirit, we pray you would help us to follow in his steps this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.